commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome to uh, the big premiere of uh, Banal of America's Winter of Weirdness. Uh, at the end of the summer of 2020, we wrapped up the summer of strangeness, and I promised you all that we'd return with a winter of weirdness. What I did not know then, uh, I wasn't lying to you, I just, <laughs> I just didn't know uh, that, that I was actually not going to be doing that. So, so here, I, but here I am. So now what's happened? So in a sense, I was telling the truth. I just uh, was off by a year. Um, but this is it. The winter of weirdness. I've got bitten by the bug, uh, and I, I finally am starting to work work through this list of uh, people I want to talk to. And when I when I decided, okay, we're going to do this. Um, I'm not like these people that do this weekly shows. Like I have to like <laughs> it takes me weeks weeks just to psych myself up to uh, get back on the air. So I'm like, all right, we're going to do this. So who who can we get to start the winter weirdness that will really fucking plant the flag in the ground and be like, we're back, baby? Well, the only one name really came to mind uh, for this for this particular assignment, and that was uh, the illustrious, the one and only John Tenney. Uh, we had him on in the summer, uh, summer of strangeness. I had the privilege of, of meeting him and hanging out with him uh, back at – the International Cryptozoology Conference uh, in Portland back in April of 2019, and we just we hit it off, folks. Uh, there, I, there are a lot of people in this field who I'm sort of like similar to, but John Tenney is like my my spiritual doppelganger. Um, you know, like people call him Tenney, they call me Benal. Uh, he likes to smoke, he likes to drink, he likes to have a good time. Uh, we, we had a good time in Portland. We uh, we we. Uh, we really ran wild in that in that town. So uh, I consider him a good friend. He's one of the few people in the world of paranormal I trust enough to call in the middle of the night when I'm drunk just to rant and rave. Uh, so there's like like three or four people who are, who are afforded such a high honor. But with all that said, uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to him uh, tonight here as we begin the winter of weirdness. Uh, welcome back to the, jo- the show, John. Thank you for thank you for doing this, man. Oh, no problem. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about Portland. Those are what stay, happens in Portland stays in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's funny is I tried to figure out the name of that bar we went to and I no one seems to, no one seems to know. They all knew when we when we when they were like, "Oh yeah, you want to go to Randy's? That's like the only place around where you can go to now." And but then I like like 6 months later I'm like, "Hey, what was that bar you sent us to?" And they're like, "I don't know what you're talking about." 
So I don't I know what happened. There. That, I wouldn't be surprised if that bar burned to the ground the, the next night. I wouldn't be surprised either. It seemed dangerous, that's for sure. Um, now, you know, that was now all... you know, Tim, before, Tim, listen, before we get started, I just need to tell you, since winter of weirdness, mm-hmm. due to my importance in the American society and American government and military, I have signed a huge amount of NDAs. So tonight, I would, I would like to list what I'm not allowed to talk about on the show. All right. Okay. I'm not allowed to talk about the following things due to my NDAs. Ghost hunters, cryptozoologists, ufologists, phantologists, transdimensional witches, Robosaurians, werewolves, Worf from Star Trek, Rosicrucians, Golden Dawn, Golden <laughs> Girls, skeptics, believers, interdimensional time travelers, cattle mutilators, Illuminati members, sea beasts, relic humanoids, pizzanoids, UFOs, UAP, Piazadora, Zoltan Dracula's dog, Dracula's cat, Bonicula, Steve Harvey, and Shia LaBeouf. Nice. All right. Jesus. But you can allude to it all, right? <laughs> I feel like so oh, many people man. now that go on shows, they have a list of things they can't talk about, and then they talk about them for the whole show. Yeah, it's a little strange. It's a little strange. It's almost like you, you, this is what I want you to really ask me about, but don't, you know, let's try and shy away from, uh, you know, the topic of, of these kind of things. It's interesting. Yeah, well, I'm on the, the, go ahead. I'm on, uh, yeah, people who go on shows, I'm on your show to talk about X, and I want you to know that I can't talk about X, but I will be on your show to talk about X. I can't give you any details about this this X thing, but I can give you my <laughs> opinions on it. <laughs> and as we all know, my opinions are worth their weight in gold. So, Oh, man. Well, I have a feeling we're going to get into all that, but let's sort of ease into into the current state of the strangeness. And uh, So we talked about we, – we met in Portland. That was pre-pandemic. I had you on during the uh, summer of 2020. That was mid-pandemic, uh, barring this Om- Omicron cron thing. That like they just fucking drop on us after Thanksgiving. Thanks uh, a lot. Um, you know, barring that thing turning this whole thing into a whole nother fucking thing. Um, it seems like we're pretty much kind of post-pandemic. I talked to you recently. Um, you know, those of us who are willing to play ball and 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 do the right thing and our duty as as, as citizens of the world and take the fucking vaccine. Um. You said you've had like a busier year than than ever before. That that was the whole that was always a setup to this. So that was so you said you've had a busier year uh than you had in a while uh this year, right? Absolutely. I normally do anywhere from 13 to 14 events in a 12-month span of time and then this year I didn't actually I did my first kind of I I filmed an episode of Kindred Spirits with Amy Bruni and Adam Barry in April or May and then up until last week, I did 13 events, so 13 events in eight months instead of 13 events in 12 months. Interesting. Well, what, uh, what I was wondering, I don't necessarily expect this from sort of the paranormal crowd or, or the, the, the this particular paranormal crowd. <laughs> you weren't as move on. So, um, but, but it does seem like people – I watch a lot of sports and stuff. It just seems like people aren't quite adjusting to being back to being part of society yet, if that makes any sense. Like, there's sort of an undercurrent of feralness 
that I'm seeing of people like just behaving badly and kind of being like, well, I'm just going to run onto the basketball court because cause, cause why the fuck not? Because I've been it's stuck inside for a year and a half, and I'm going to I'm going to live my life and throw a throw a full can of soda at this baseball player's head. It's like, I mean, that kind of shit happened every now and then, but now it seems to be happening a lot. Like, do you think that people setting aside the crazy sports fans, but do you think like people are sort of being weird, adjusting to getting back? to life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know doing these events that I'm doing, everyone is kind of acting properly, but then, you know, if there's a chance to commiserate and socialize uh, at those events, like that pretty gets pretty off the rails pretty fast. It's, it's, it's like everybody's been storing up their insanity where I feel like a lot of people in the paranormal community, somewhat well-adjusted weirdos, we've always been a certain amount of introverted. So we've always known like that there are going to be periods of time of isolation, but I don't think, you know, people who aren't like a, a kind of typical weirdo, I don't think they're used to periods of times of isolation and reflection and that drives them a little insane. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you can also see it like I get tensions are high and everything, but it's like every week there's someone behaving badly. And they wind up viral and shit. And it's like, oh, Jesus, just, you know, why do you got to make well, it yeah, you everybody? Add, just you, chill out. You, you add people's, uh, you know, feralness that you said, you add that to the type on top of the fact that we now live in a world where acting badly will make you money. It'll, you know, you'll go viral and then all of a sudden you have a talk show or you get a guest appearance on a sitcom. <laughs> Yeah, or you lose your job or something. That's the other, you know, those are, those other people that, like, become uh, Internet famous for shameful things, and then it's like they get stormed, and it's just, you know, swarmed, if you will. But, yeah, it's uh, it's a strange yeah. world. Now, go ahead. I was just going to say, but, yeah, but even, like, I, I know that there are people who lose their job for behaving badly, but then, you know, they, they decry the society we live in as one that has canceled them or – you know, I, what I was doing was fine, even though they were acting badly. And then they get a huge rally of supporters behind them, and they do a GoFundMe because I lost my job, yes. and they make five hundred thousand dollars. That's absolutely true. I forgot about that till till you started saying that. But yeah, that's exactly what happens. Someone will someone will be like, "I'm not wearing a mask, and I'm going to pour a pour, throw a hot coffee in your fucking head," you know. And then the anti-mask people are like, "You had every right to do that. They wanted you to wear a mask." It's like, no, no. Yeah, and, and then it's like I'll throw they, I'll throw five hundred dollars your way, yeah. Yeah, and before you know it, that person has made you know, like I said, a GoFundMe of five hundred thousand dollars, which they wouldn't have made working at their normal job in ten years. Exactly, yeah. Um, now I almost never mention this at the beginning of the shows, but I but John has a lot of uh, fans and everything. Maybe there's some people checking out the show for the first time. If you're sitting here like wondering why. This sounds like two people talking on the phone. That's it. what it is. Um, we're super old school here at Banal of America. This is supposed to be like old Art Bell episodes. It's supposed to be like bootleg radio, underground radio. So if you're like, oh, man, what is what kind of microphone are you using? I'm using whatever they stick in the Radio Shack phone. So And, uh, and, and John's on his cell phone. And I find that you get the best conversations that way with guests because they're pretty much talking on the phone as if they were – calling up to order a pizza or something. They're not forced to sing and dance on their webcam for, for people on YouTube. Um, 
So well, the only difference between I... the only difference the only difference between this and our old episode of Art Bell is that neither of us is going to try and sell anybody a Beijing radio or gold dipped roses. No, no. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, well, one thing you and I have talked about in the past, we'll try not to sort of over go over the same ground too much, but uh, is, is sort of, while everything kind of shut down from the pandemic, the UFO thing was still bubbling up, and, and it's been fun and interesting and maddening at times to watch sort of the online UFO community uh, respond to all this because they're not really doing any research per se, except for maybe filing FOIAs, but they're mostly fighting about what people are doing. Um, have you, I guess we'll sort of start out right at the beginning of what's the latest thing. I don't know if you followed this, but have you seen this now where there's like dueling? Uh, it's so con- convoluted and, and stupid, um, but like the, the Department of Defense has started up a, a UFO desk for lack of a better term, and then, then um, the Senate wants to establish their own UFO desk uh, independent of that, which would include people from the Galileo Project and some of these more UFO-friendly groups, if you will. So as you can imagine, the UFO crowd is in favor of that. Uh, now they're all in, in a tizzy over the creation of this uh, DOD desk. That's a super short version of what's what's going on but are you following this at all yeah i am and you know i really do feel like i i i feel like a broken record sometimes because well broken record is kind of good to where i'm going but you know people who have a history in this field of weirdness we always talk about the cyclical nature of it and how it comes around and how it fades out and how it comes back and maybe Social media is making those cycles a little bit quicker, but you are watching one of the cycles happen. It's gaining, it gained traction in 2017. It got to a fever pitch in, you know, 2019, uh, and then it kind of is falling off in 2020. 2021, people are arguing about the words, what's going to happen. In 2022 and 2023, there are people, like, it's not going to be a big thing anymore. People will probably be back on ghosts, though, They'll be so flustered and flummoxed with the nuts and bolts nature of the military and the government and paperwork that they'll go back to something a little more ethereal. And so they'll start talking about ghosts again. And then the cycle will continue. And unfortunately, when that happens, I mean, this period of time that we're in right now is where all of the giant skeptics are born out of. Because it's people who said, oh, I did this for three or four years, and it was all bunk, and it was all hokum, and it was all nothing, and I gave up, and now I'm going to do podcasts and radio shows and write articles about how it's all junk and everybody's a nutcase. And, like, it, it will be a thing that a lot of the people that you see who are huge UFO proponents right now will end up being pretty militant skeptics against UFOs in the next five years. Yeah, I've seen that actually already on from some folks on UFO Twitter where they've uh, kind of turned – turned. Uh, I'm proud of them in a sense, where they've gotten very cynical about all this. And it's like, where have you been? I tell you, you know, you guys wrote us all off for being cynics about this, and now you're, now, now you're kind of coming around to our side. But you, you raise a great point that it's – to me, I think that's kind of why I have kind of disconnected a lot from this because it's just – if you read that DOD press release announcing the UFO desk, like they somehow found a way to make flying saucers sound into the most fucking boring thing you could imagine. 
Um, and I understand why they would want to do it, but it's like it, it turns me off. There's nothing – I'm not really – I don't find it really that thrilling to parse through the language of a, of a congressional budget amendment. Like, like I, once, I was once accused in my early days of not caring about the UFOs enough and caring more about the people on the ground, but it's like – at this point, it's like none of this shit has anything to do with the with the, with the flying saucers. Like, when are we going to get back to talking about the flying saucers? Yeah, I have a, a quite a number of people. I understand what you mean by like making it sound boring, but I have there's a, quite a number of people who kind of rail on me and and come against me because I'm talking about flying saucer cases and UFO cases and the weirdness of flying saucers and UFOs but they're mad at me because I don't completely understand the debate about the acronyms for governmental UFO groups. Right, right. Yeah. And that is just exactly. mad that's just madness to me like knowing what the United States government, the acronyms for a United States government UFO group, how that is somehow more important than actually studying the phenomena itself blows my mind. Yeah, and that's what it's become. That's really what it's become. Um, you know, with like what a handful of cases from the Tic Tac, the Tic Tac like and a bunch of paperwork. Um, you know, and there's UFO cases happening all the time, so it's not like it's not like uh, this this stuff stopped, and we're trying to find out why it stopped. It's like there's plenty of, plenty of UFO cases. I don't know, you know, why they're not really that tantalizing or or uh, can't break through that's a, that's a whole other thing but yeah it's it's very it's very frustrating i mean i i, I, I it almost makes me hesitant to talk too much about this whole topic because the people who are really fired up about it are like so militant which is another whole issue that is worrisome because to me it's like this is not that serious don't take this so seriously um i don't see what the hell the government is their whole their, their whole thing is like the whole impetus behind this all this battling acronyms is like who's going to start looking at this and it's like motherfucker well, we've been looking at this for like decades like we're going to from scratch yeah and I, I think you and I have talked about it on the phone before the other thing is too is if let's, let's play best case scenario let's play best case scenario the US government creates a UFO desk says that flying saucers are real let's go Further to a, even better, we are in contact with the euphonauts that fly the flying saucers. We know extraterrestrial intelligence. We've been in contact with extraterrestrials. Well, then the questions, and I, we, I think we talked about this on the phone, then the questions should be, okay, were they turning off, like, atomic power plants? Have they been abducting people, and were they mutilating cattle? And if the answer to that is no, if that's not aliens and UFOs, then we're fucked, because what the hell is happening then? Yeah, exactly. Then we've got aliens and some other, a whole bunch of other problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah a whole bunch exactly. of other problems that aliens don't solve. Well, yeah, yeah. That's the other. <laughs> that's the other part. There's a woman. Uh, we won't, I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to. Uh, 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 I don't want to even get in there, into it. But there's a lady who says that she knows aliens that live in a cave. Uh, I think anyone who's listening to the show knows Alien Alien Cave Lady, and she was going to do an expedition to the Alien Cave um, to reveal them to the world, and they're going to help us out. They're going to solve all our problems. 
And it's like, okay, like, look at aliens living in the cave. We got fucking problems now. We don't have time to go get you in the cave. If you're there in the cave and you know that we're out here and we have all these problems, where are you going to come and help us? Or are you just assholes? Right? Right. <laughs> so, like, that's the other yeah. part of it. I don't trust these aliens. If they have all the if they have all the solutions, where the fuck are they? Don't they know we're dying yeah. down here of a disease that, that just cropped up like a couple years ago? Like shit, aliens. We where are you? How much longer do we have to wait for you to come help us? Yeah, I don't really get along with my next door neighbors, but if I go out of town, they'll get my mail for me. Like they'll help. Like if if these aliens are benevolent and loving and want to interact with us. But we have to go visit them in a cave, unless and they're not going to do anything for a while. Like they're 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 worse than your worst neighbors. Right. Oh man. So yeah, when people complain that we're cynical about disclosure, it's because there doesn't seem to be any fucking end game. We're relying on the government to tell us the answer. Who've been lying to us all this time? And and you know we we can't we don't know what what we can trust about the people or the beings or whatever behind these things, and the whole thing could be a house of cards, and it could all be some kind of like interdimensional mental thing that like no one's going to even be able to really fathom or or comprehend or integrate into actual life. You know what I'm saying? It's like oh these things are a product of your mind and da da da. It's like try try fucking explaining that to Joe Sixpack. That the aliens, and I'm on, I'm a half Joe six pack. I'm Joe three pack, although more often than not I'm Joe twelve pack. <laughs> but try explaining to them that like, like, oh, the fly, flying saucers are a product of your mind and all this stuff, and it's interdimensional in nature. It's like they're not going to care. They're not well, going to get it. I mean, it's, well, and that's and that's again, that's a best case scenario. That's UFOs and flying saucers being only one thing, being a product of your mind. Try explaining right. to people that. There are some UFOs that are a product of uh, a, a conscious construct of the group hive mind of the collective consciousness of the world. There's another group of UFOs that are all nuts and bolts. They're from off world. There's another group of UFOs that are time travelers. Like now, or the idea that maybe UFOs are a multitude or combinatorial system of experiences, and that isn't going to play at all. Right, right. Oh, yeah, because people want one answer. They want one answer. And I agree that, uh, yeah, Brad Steiger used to have, like, a list of, like, 35 things, and, like, number 35 was of what UFOs are, and, like, 35 was, like, all of the above. And it's, yeah. like, it really could be all that stuff. It could be, like, it could be, like, I, I love the theory that they're, like, I don't even know, like, some kind of, like, organisms. Like, there are some kind of, like, sky organisms that we don't even, that exist in the, in the you know, and I'm sure some... Some scientists will be like, nah, that's not possible, but who knows? You know, if they can have if they if, if if they can find creatures living in lava, why can't they find like some kind of weird organism living in the upper atmosphere that is enormous and you can't actually you know, I don't think they can catalog the whole upper atmosphere. I'm sure someone will write to me well, and go, Well they did but you know. <laughs> I like yeah, sky uh, organisms, then- that's my point. I like sky organisms too as as one of the uh, ideas. But Again, like you come back to a point with people wanting one answer, but but one answer isn't going to do anything either. I mean, if if the governments of the world agreed on one thing and told people that they had to do one thing because of aliens, 
Like, we have just seen in the past two years what happens when the governments of the world tell people, okay, you have to do this one thing for the rest of us to survive. A a huge amount of people say, I don't want to because the government's telling me I have to. Right. Exactly. if Exactly. if, if If you compare going through the pandemic with the revelations of aliens, I mean, you're going to see just as many kick back against it as are for it. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to we're divided on everything nowadays. It seems like it's not a wise. That, that's why I I have like two kind of official stances on this. One is uh, show me the fucking aliens. I'm tired of people saying they have stories or they have pictures or they or putting out video. Just show me the aliens. I'm done with I'm done with the teases about this. Which is partially why it's like we're going to create a desk to look at UAPs and da da da. It's like just just you know what. Call me when you get the fucking aliens. Tell me when you have the aliens. Until then, I don't care. Uh, and the other thing... Ah, oh shit, now I lost my... <laughs> oh, the other thing is, I, I, it's a very nuanced issue, but it's like, look, it, I want to know what these things are, but I don't think now is necessarily the time for the public to know uh, if the government knows, which I don't even think they really do. But essentially what I'm saying is I don't think it's the time to inject aliens into the mix. I stick with just the aliens thing because that's pretty much the narrative that people want to hear. And it's like now is not the time to tell people about the fucking aliens. That's that's sort of my – I'm pro-disclosure, dot, 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 but not now. I, I want to – I obviously I've spent the majority – I've spent my entire adult life – not the majority, my entire adult life – in this world of weirdness. And yes, I would like to have the answers, but I've also spent my entire life in this world. And like, I do want disclosure or the revelations. I want to know the answers, but dot, dot, dot. Do I think that there are other bigger problems that we're confronted with at this moment as a, as a global society? Yes, absolutely. And should we spend mm-hmm. time on that over whether or not there are Tic Tacs flying around in the air. Yes, we should spend time on the bigger problems first. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder if the – I suppose – I'm almost certain it is, but it's like, do you think that's what motivates some of these people who are so passionate about this, that it's like this escapism from all the real, pro, the real problems of the world? We've talked about this that it, uh, in private, where it's like this issue is a very – uh, for the most part, like it's it's a it's it's a privileged issue. Most people don't have time to worry about if there are tic tacs flying around. They have to they have to put food on the table or uh, you know survive in this world that seems where the deck stacked against them. Um, so the people who do who do <laughs> devote a considerable amount of time to the subject all kind of look the same. They're all sort of uh, middle class white folks. You see a lot of uh, I'm seeing a lot of women more often than not nowadays who are sort of getting involved in the thing. So it's less, you know, it's less predominantly male, which is a good thing, of course, but it's certainly not diverse um, uh, as far as, well, like, and there's also, there's also an underlying, there's also There's also an underlying current of, I mean, you kind of touched on it briefly at the very beginning, but there's also an underlying current of kind of nationalism that goes along with UFO research where, all of the research is being done in the United States. The scientists are mostly from the United States. The groups are mostly in the United States. The United States comprises 4% of the world's population. 
So this is an opportunity for people to say, well, rah-rah, USA, we're the ones that are doing it. Of course they're going to contact us. Like, but, but the reality of the situation is we are 4% of the population, and still out of that 4% of the population, only 4 in 10 Americans even believes in UFOs. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was thinking about this today, thinking about our conversation, and uh, I've noticed um, that there's a certain strain of, of, of pro-disclosure UFO buff lately. That there's, a, there's a large contingent of people from England, which to me is like really strange, and Europe, um, who, who are interjecting into, into a lot of this. From, from on social media or whatever, and you're like, who is who is this person that so that just told me to fuck off, you know, because I didn't because I made some snarky remark about about flying saucers, and I, I click on their profile, and it's like Birmingham, England. It's like, where are all these? Why are you people from England so so fired up about what's happening in America with UFOs? Like, why don't don't pester your own government about this? Why aren't you doing anything in your country to to get the UFO thing opened up? I really think that the influx of people from Australia and and the UK has come from a couple of things. One, I think uh, the pandemic and lockdowns and the kind of startling realization that like they are have a representative government that might not be representing them properly and and Brexit. I think that those have really moved a lot of people in both the UK and in Australia to say like oh look at look at you know America rah rah America like things seem to be like falling apart but they're still interested in UFOs I mean they're inside this bubble right like when you're inside the UFO bubble it looks like everybody is talking about UFOs and many of them are coming from America and so if you all of a sudden want to do something that's kind of anti-government but not at the same time to get yourself arrested like UFOs is a bandwagon to jump on. Yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a safe form of civil <laughs> disobedience, in a way. Right. Um, and and yeah, I mean, and I have no I have no qualms with like people in England who are uh, who are like all for who are like super into this whole scene. But to me, I guess just from my perspective as an American, it's just so bizarre. It's like I don't. I guess I'm. I guess it's the old American xenophobic sort of like that's ingrained in us, where it's like. I, I don't know anything that's going on in these other countries as far UFOs or otherwise, really barely anything. So, uh, and, and to think that I would have, I could voice my opinion on, you know, Lord Torrington's take on, on the flying saucer menace. Why I, I heard him in the House of Commons and he dismissed the whole thing. It's ridiculous. Like some guy apparently did. He, you know, they talked about it a little bit. It's like, well, go get on that guy's ass. Why, 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 why are you, why are you getting on our, our people's ass? So we need, we I need mean, to, we I need mean, to feel. Go ahead. <laughs> I, no, I was just going to say. I feel like the other thing is too, though, because of social media and because of the way that Americans and the United States has always been ingrained kind of with flying saucers, I think that people also see, back to what we talked about at the very beginning, I think people see the opportunity to make money here. Uh, we have, you know, the United States has a, a, a few, well, really very wealthy Americans who are willing to put their dollars toward weirdness. Um, 
We have a big social media influence. Uh, if you have a start a good podcast and get the right people on your show or you start your YouTube channel or TikTok and get the right people on and say the right things, like there's the ability to monetize to a greater extent, I feel, in the United States than there is in other countries. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And it's like, yeah. And, I mean, it is. I, I, I sort of give them uh, hypothetical grief here, but it is – um, the, it, like all the actions here. Let's be honest. Like all the all the, you know, you got your Bentwaters and stuff like that. But it's like all all the real all the good actions here in America for UFOs. Um, every country sort of has its own signature case. We've got like all these different crazy shit that happened here. So it's like yeah, and, and you know we got the government and all that, and they they do kind of run their mouth about UFOs all the fucking time, despite how it, people act like this is a big thing that they oh they're talking about UFOs it's like every few years they talk about UFOs you just uh you just don't remember it cuz sometimes most of the time they don't say shit or uh they don't say what you want them to say so well but the government and, and, talking you know, about again, UFOs is nothing new no and again you know like i said the audience is larger i mean the the population of the UK is the same as california and nevada put together right like that's the the yeah. population of the entirety of the UK so, I mean, you have a, a much wider audience in the United States. And if something, if you get involved somehow or another with something that has made the American press, like, then of course you're going to get picked up probably on some news service that runs internationally. So it's easier to, again, kind of monetize and create a brand and content if you have some stake in the U.S. right now. That makes sense. I was more speaking of the fandom, but yeah, I agree that you know if you're gonna do something like that, yeah, you want to tap into the <laughs> tap into that U.S. UFO market because that's a uh, yeah for sure. That, that's where that's where it's happening right now. Um, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't expect. I just I, I think a lot of people. I, I have a hard time getting excited in the moment because. Uh, well, we've been around this forever. You and I have been in this for decades. So it's like I've, you only after you've been in this for decades can you kind of look back and go, oh, okay, well, nothing really ever changes. No matter the excitement of the moment, like nothing really ever, ever changes. And I don't care what anyone says, oh, things are different now. It's like give it, give it like five, another five years. I mean, we're almost – we're about four years removed from that New York Times article, and we're we're still not really seeing any – we don't have any further answers on any of this that we did when that came out and and, and sort of was purportedly like this game-changing moment. It's like, well, I'm still and, waiting and, for those fucking aliens. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing that comes with spending a little bit of time and talking to a lot of people and seeing a lot of events play out, I think one of the things, when I do lectures, I always tell people, you know, the, the greatest thing they can do is kind of, converse about their stories of weirdness if they have one like just talk openly about it once you feel comfortable but you don't have to and one of the things over the past 30 years of doing this is that the majority of people who do have strange experiences whether they be ghosts or they have a haunted house or they think they have a haunted house or they've seen a ufo or think they've seen a ufo or aliens and abductions Honestly, like the majority of people are dealing with it in a private way and don't talk about it. And I think it's going to be that way, that way for a very long time. I know it doesn't seem like it because of 
social media, it seems like we have more stories than ever. But I really do believe that the vast majority of experiences are just accepted as this thing that happened to me one time, and they never get mentioned again. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's a personal experience for a lot of people, and they don't really – there's not much you can do with that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's, uh, and, and, if the, and, and if the experiences and if the experience of some part of any of these strange phenomena, if any of if any of them, if it's if part of it is that they are meant to be unique and personalized and individualized, then you're never going to glean any information out of it by doing how we think science is done, which is reproducing it and falsifying it. If if they are unique and specific to the individual they were happening, and there's a you know some slight crossover with how it happens, like you might be able to see minor trends and patterns. But if they're if they are uniquely personalized to each of us, we are unique individuals. Then it's going to be very very hard to discern any meaningful data from it. Right. Yeah, trying to solve this with the traditional tools of science seems to be uh, not working. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not like people haven't tried. So that's the thing. That's the that's we we kind of have to like there needs to be almost a reckoning where it's like, look, we've done everything we can to try and figure <laughs> figure this out. Maybe we're not asking the right questions. Maybe we're not using the right we're using the right instruments or whatever. Um, yeah, maybe you know. maybe we're just not maybe we're just not, not honestly and openly talking to each other about the experiences themselves. You know, one of the things that I encounter when I'm interviewing witnesses and when I'm going around and talking to experiencers is that stuff that they leave out because they don't think it's important. You know, I have had to learn over the years to try and try out minutia which they don't think is important because they've only had this one experience. But I'm, you know, over 30 years. So here's my example. Uh, two weekends ago, I was doing a, a ghost hunt at an allegedly haunted hotel in New Hampshire. And I have, there's during these ghost hunts, they have four groups of like 15 people and the four groups every 45 minutes go to a new part of the hotel to investigate for ghosts. And we tell people, you have to tell me in the 45 minutes that you're here if you feel anything weird, if you see anything weird, because you're going to leave in 45 minutes. But I'm going to be here for four hours, so I can aggregate all of the information together and find out if something is going on. Well, a lot of times I feel like the UFO community is very bad at aggregating information, collecting and compiling all of the stories and experiences, no matter how slight the minutia is. Like, maybe... You know, every time someone's, I'm just throwing this out as a maybe, but maybe sometimes there's something, every time someone sees a UFO, 15 seconds before they see the UFO, they hear a, a click or their ear or their ear buzzes. And no one ever talks about it because it's just something that happens to humans all the time, whether or not you see a UFO. But if we knew all of the UFO experiences and we always heard that there's a click 15 seconds before the experience, maybe that means something. But we leave out what we think is unimportant, and that might be vastly important. That's an interesting observation. So there may be missing pieces of the puzzle that talk about maddening that like we wouldn't that we never bothered to look for at 70 over 70 years but it is 
you know, it's entirely that's entirely possible. Uh, Josh Cutchin does a lot of good work with stuff like smells and things like that that normally that often do fall by the wayside of these case reports. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's super funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who is a neuropsychologist, uh, neurobiology, excuse me, and I was asking him about my sleep paralysis because I have sleep. I've had sleep paralysis ever since I was a little kid. And we were talking about it, and I asked him just out of my own curiosity. I said, so, because they've tested people who have sleep paralysis and, and look at their brains and, and try and do studies on them. And I said to him, you know, is it possible that my sleep paralysis only happens when I'm sleeping on my back? Like, does that have something to do with it? And he said, no, I don't think so. You know, the majority of people sleep on their backs and blah, 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 blah. And I said, yeah, but have you ever – and I, I just randomly threw this out. I said, but have you ever noticed that, like, when dogs and cats go into a dreaming state and you can really see them, like, agitated, they're usually laying with their bellies exposed. Is it an evolved process to wake us up because we're sleeping exposed with our internal organs exposed? And it turned into a huge scientific paper that he wrote about sleep paralysis seems to be when people are sleeping on their back. And it took one weird, curious question from an absolute nobody like myself to lead down a path of thinking about the experience of sleep paralysis in a completely different way. So Interesting. Ask, ask the questions, and even if they seem silly, just ask questions and talk honestly and openly about weirdness. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting, you know. Uh, like I said, people like you and I have spent decades in this. To other people, it's 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 still like really taboo. It's it's funny. I kind of encountered that, you know, with hanging around with family and stuff uh, over the over the holiday. And it, and and people who kind of we talked about this bubble. It's like people aren't really talking about <laughs> about UFOs and and and. Tic Tacs and stuff, at least in my family, and you'd think that they would ask me about it, but nobody even brought it up. So, uh, but yeah, it's people are still, again, it's either they're they're too wrapped up in real world problems, which is totally understandable, and they also are dealing with that taboo of the subject. So it's a difficult double double hurdle to overcome in a sense. But that's definitely well, where we need to go. Well, yeah, and and there was a thing on Twitter today that I was responding to because someone asked a question, and and so earlier, like I said in talking to you just now, 20 minutes ago or 10 minutes ago, where I said, you know, four out of 10 people believe in UFOs, but the thing is, because of the way narratives change, like four in 10 people right now believe in UFOs after 70 years of UFOs in America. But if you walked down the street and polled 100 Americans and the question was simply, do you know what UAP are? I would bet that that number is one out of 10 or less. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 I don't understand this. Uh, I don't understand this push to like, well, it, it, again, it goes back to sort of the cynicism that you and I have had ingrained in us from all these years of watching this thing. But it's like the UAP thing comes from the fucking government, dude. And it's, it's like 
So you're just going to let them lead you to wherever the fuck they want to lead you. So now you're going to stop calling them UFOs. You're going to call them UAPs because that's what you're supposed to do because that's what the government calls them. It's like, <laughs> I thought we were against them. I, th- I thought we were trying to get them to tell us the truth. Like, get the fuck out of here. Oh, man. And it's, to me, yeah, it's it's all to sort of lose that silly stigma of UFO. But, you know, people like UFOs. I, and people aren't, you know, I don't think we need to ditch UFO. In, in the, in any t- I like flying saucer, personally. I, I try to use it more often than, than not, because to me it's, as Stan Friedman used to say, UFO, I forget how he s- said it, but it was something like UFOs, not all UFOs are flying saucers, but all flying saucers are flying saucers, something like that. Um, but your flying saucer is a little more clear about what you're kind of trying to talk about. But, yeah, I don't understand well, the, the attempted rebranding. I mean, I understand it. I just find it irritating, the, the rebranding yeah, and, of UFOs to UAP. And that's the thing, though, right? Like, it, I just said, like, you know, it's four in ten Americans have an idea about flying saucers or UFOs, but it took 70 years to get four in ten Americans to have a belief in flying saucers. And so now you've got four in ten Americans. Like, is that the point where it's too much that we have to start calling them something else so that we can push it back down or confuse people more or obfuscate more or, like, just get, like now you have people saying, like, well, UAPs aren't UFOs and UFOs aren't flying saucers. So now you compartmentalize even the weird belief structures that are inside of it which create more internalized groups, which create more bubbles, which keep people from talking to each other about the strangeness. Well, it's interesting. Zach Copley in the chat, kind of, uh, in a sense, kind of what I was saying earlier about the government, uh, he says maybe the point of the of the brand rebranding is to make UFOs into something completely boring, which it does, in a sense, it does kind of feel that way, because, like, all the, all the UAPs are... are the whole like thing with UAPs and it's like all the government, the government, the Tic Tac, they, those are all, they're all fucking kind of boring, dude. There's just a blob floating on the screen. It's like where's the where's the guy that lands in a field and gives the farmer a pancake? You know, where's where's that yeah. where's that fucking thing? Where's the where's the case that you know twelve school children see the uh, flying saucer land outside their their school? Like, <laughs> give me more of those. Give me less Tic Tacs. Yeah, but you know. We're at a point right now, and you and I have discussed this privately on phone conversations, where at some point, probably because of the New York Times article in 2017, the only people that we can trust now to tell us their UFO experiences are people who have either been in the government or military. Anybody else gets kind of thrown to the wayside. Yeah. And I I find that to be highly problematic. Oh, I totally agree. I absolutely agree. Um, it's a it's a dangerous appeal to authority that uh, people should be really weary about, and uh, it's it's especially troublesome to me where it's like if you go, oh, the guy could be mistaken, the pilot guy could have been mistaken. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> they, the 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 pro UFO folks they immediately jump to like you're a traitor to the country. It's like what? Like, right. what, what are you talking about? I just said the guy might have misidentified a fucking balloon. I didn't say that anything terrible. And it's like, oh, you don't trust the military? You don't? You think that all this shit? And it's like, no, I, I'm not a traitor to the country. Thank you. Uh, I just think maybe the person, the, the guy misidentified something. Oh, well, man. the other thing is, too, is here's, here's, the, here's another thing that kind of, so I have always 
you know, I say at my lectures and I say on podcasts and I, I try and live my life. And I know a lot of people can't do this and I understand this, but for me personally, I try and live my life without any secrets. I know that I have a somewhat public persona. Uh, I want people to talk to me. I want people to understand me. I want, to pe- I want people to know that I'm not bullshitting them. And so ask me a question, any question. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's about my politics or my personal life. I just don't. I, it's easier for me to live a life that doesn't have secrets. And one of the things that I find problematic is usually with government and military people, they will tell you their UFO story. They will go public, but they will not discuss who they are as a person, which is important to me as a researcher. Like I want to know all about people who have UFO experiences or haunting experiences. I understand that people don't want, they they do want to have private lives, but if you do want to have private lives, then you can't go public with a part of your life. I feel like that is disingenuous to the phenomena itself. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I definitely, yeah, I totally see that, where it's like you want to know everything about the person that had the experience because then that might uh, inform you more about what happened. Um, and more often yeah, than it's but, not well, it's like, how, yeah, then it's just like, I mean, it's just the story. The story is all that matters. Yeah, and, and and their perception of the day-to-day reality shapes how their, you know, uh, strange experience might have been perceived by them. You know, whether it is a woman coming forward and saying there's aliens that live in a cave, if I ask the question like, what was your lifestyle growing up? Like, what was your belief system? I'm going to ask that question of the same former military person who says, I saw a UFO flying a jet airplane. I'm going to ask, what was your experience growing up? What were your religious belief systems? Like there's a series of questions that you, I, I want, I would like people to be able to answer honestly so that I can know what that person's experiences are, what their perceptions of reality are, what their day-to-day life is like so that I can contextualize their strange experience, their strange story that they're telling me to believe as truth. It would be interesting to see. I don't think anyone's ever done a study on it. It's hard. It would hard. It would be hard to do. Uh, I like to. Th- I'm an idea man, like my friend Adam Go Rightly. So I throw ideas out there. I'm never going to do anything with this, but if somebody else wants to, please do. But it would be interesting to see uh, what percentage of people who have these experiences, um, like, are came into it. It occurred to them. Uh, as non-believers or people or, or agnostics. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I would love to know the breakdown of, let's say, flying saucer buffs who see a UFO versus people who are like, I never gave it a second thought or I never believed in that stuff. And I'm applying this also to, like, Bigfoot and ghosts and a lot of that other, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, experiential moments of the paranormal it would be really interesting because I feel like more often than not, when I hear a story like that, it's from somebody who's like, I never believed in Bigfoot till I saw Bigfoot. Now, maybe, again, this is kind of why it's hard. Like, maybe they, they'd be, they would, people, it's hard to really trust people, but let's just say you just take them for their word. Um, it, would be, it, it would be interesting to see what that breakdown is. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, but I think for me, the questions that I ask, that I'm not going to get answers to most of the time are a little bit more related directly. I would like someone to do 
you know, and again, I'm throwing out thought seeds. I'm just like you. I'll probably never get a chance to do this, but I would love someone to collect and compile experiencers. Like, I want to know when you were growing up, did you grow up in a religious household? Did you ever uh, get to an age where you rebelled against that religion? Do you still hold that religion dear? Was that a religion you never rebelled against? Did you grow up in a non-religious household? Uh, you know, things that did you did you have imaginary friends? Were you allowed to have imaginary friends when you were a little kid? Were you allowed to read comic books? Were you not allowed to read comic books? Like all of these things, like a person's perception of reality and how they grew up and in the experience of their life, how they were formed, their thinking process, those things are vastly interesting to me when they then later say, this is a true thing that happened to me. And yeah. But I don't know what their truths are, what they, what their belief systems are. And those are the I questions that, you know, yeah. And people say, you know, well, my religion is private. My spirituality is private. And I get that and I understand it, which is why I think it's hard, probably impossible to do. Why do you think the religion aspect of it is so important? I think that, you know, when people grow up with religions, uh, you know, they're told a story and, you know, there are different paths, which are, you know, some people grow up with religion and they're told this, this, let's just take Judeo-Christian Christianity. Let's just say like you grow up as a little kid, you're told that this book is the absolute, you know, uh, unchallenged word of God. It's exactly as the universe becomes. And as that person grows up, they realize, oh, maybe it's not already they're starting to build in this sense of doubt and kind of rebellion against what they've been told is the truth. And that's interesting to me as they grow up and perhaps become an experiencer to say, this is now my truth. Well, will they grow up and grow beyond that? Will they rebel against that truth like in later life? And is that something that is cyclical in nature? If they never challenged their religion and they still believe that what they were told as a child growing up is absolutely 100% the truth, how do they justify this new truth of this experience they had? Like, those things are vastly interesting to me. Gotcha. All right. I just heard a lot of – you mentioned religion a lot there, and it kind of piqued my interest because I don't give it much thought. So I, I see now what you what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, I think yeah, religion I think religion I think religion and, and, and I think religion and people's spirituality is very underplayed in their perception of these experiences. I think that when you look back at at past experiencers and even the contactee movement of the 1950s, you see a very hard trend of Judeo-Christian euphonauts, you know, space brothers and sisters coming down saying that there is a Jesus, that there is a God, that, you know, there is a, even on Venus, we believe in heaven. And I just think it's interesting that in this era, we have really kind of wiped away what are the experiencers' experiences with religion. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think probably because I'm not religious at all, that to me it's like so foreign that uh, it's hard for me yeah, it's hard for me to grasp sometimes because it doesn't mean anything to me, religion, um, that there are people that it means everything to because I, I guess I, sh I should be more cognizant of that, but it, it, that's absolutely the case. 
Yeah, I mean, I, w- I grew up with no religion. Uh, I grew up in a non-religious household and was always fascinated by my friends who were going to Catholic school and, and my friends who had to go to temple and my friends who, you know, in Dearborn who were doing daily prayers. Like that, that fascinated me to no end as to how they again, perceived their place in the universe, and then in later life, how they perceive experiences that might not conform to their upbringing. Yeah. Wow, this got deep fast, and I like it. This is good. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I guess the point I was trying to make, uh, I didn't mean to take you off of your, uh, your sort of message about sort of learning the 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 makeup of the of the witnesses and the experiences was well, I guess just that like I wonder if you're more prone to having some kind of experience if setting aside all that stuff just sort of your perspective on this stuff in the first place cuz it seems like a lot of people who want this who who you know it, it, like, I feel like once you're in it, you can't go out and get and see a UFO again. Or if, like you saw a UFO and got you into it, and then it's like you're never, you're always sort of chasing that that moment, um, you know. And I think that happens for Bigfoot people and uh, and ghost people and stuff like that too. That they had one or two experiences, and it became it. it then they became a believer, and now they want to now they want to try and tap into whatever changed their mindset on this. But yeah, and yeah, but I think you know you know this because you've done this long enough too. Like that perception of, you know, how many, we we see it all the time. We pe- we see people online and documentaries and books written all the time about like, you know, our religious experiences that people happen that happen to people. You know, so-called religious experiences, whether it's you know, Fatima or you know, sightings of the Mother Mary. Like, are those UFO experiences? Are those interdimensional beings? Are those extraterrestrials? And we just think we'll call them religious experiences because they happened to religious people, and those were the only context those people had for those experiences. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's like the big debate. Like, what if if this is all connected in some sense? uh, We just use different words. Um, Today's UAP was yesterday's angels, so that kind of idea. Um, yeah, and exactly. still could be. It still could be like we were talking. I was saying about people who are deeply religious. They might have a ghost experience and and or uh, see a UFO, and they might they might see it through the lens of religion and be like, oh, that was that was a message from God that I got to get my act together or whatever. And it's like, and they may not even like put put it together that what that connected to the UAP thing. Right. And then, again, this drags, I I know that I'm kind of bashing the point on this, but then that religious and spiritual belief system also informs me and can inform us on the the day-to-day life of the people. Like, how do they perceive their place with their neighbor? How do they perceive them their place in general society? Uh, do they think that, you know, uh, you know, someone who is has a different colored skin are they a different type of person than you like these are things that again shape and form a larger experience not just i saw a ufo or i saw an alien but like 
there's literally a more vivid world to that person's experience if we dig down inside and see how are they going to react. Now that they've seen a UFO, now that they have a true experience for themselves, that the world exists in a place where there are you know, cosmic entities that we are interacting with, how does that change them as a person in dealing with the other humans on this planet? Or doesn't it? That's fascinating to me as well. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The funny thing is, though, you don't really... You don't hear many experience, experiences. Yes, they're sort of a different cut from a different cloth. Um, but you're, you're run-of-the-mill, like, especially these military witnesses you're talking about. You don't really get that, that kind of perspective. Uh, you don't really see a lot of as much self, the, the kind of depth of self-introspection that you're seeking. It's almost like you don't necessarily see that from people. They're just like, I saw this UFO, man. It was crazy. What do you think it was? You know, We almost have to <laughs> train people to be like, I wonder why I saw that. Like, I guess that's the thing. Like, Nobody... People ask, what, what was it that I saw? They don't really ask, like, why did I just see that? And maybe, maybe that's the, the changing of the questions that we need to think about um, if we really want to try and even remote begin to understand what this is. Um, because, like, right, I just saw right. this thing, and what is it isn't working. Right. And, and like you were saying, too, I mean, you know, the other thing when experiencers or someone who says that they're in contact with a, a higher consciousness, like, you know, I, I see people, whether they're on Twitter or TikTok or on the Internet, wherever, or, or they contact me and they say they're, you know, in contact with a higher consciousness or, a, a, or an extraterrestrial intelligence that is vastly superior to ours. And then I look at what information they do give me, whether it be on their social media or their Facebook or their Twitter or whatever, and, uh, I mean, you know, their posts are vitriol against other human beings. And I'm like, how can you be in contact with a supreme extraterrestrial intelligence that no longer differentiates, you know, human beings, sees us as a single species, and yet you are still hating these other people because of their color or gender? Yeah. Well, you, yeah. I think you made a you made you put out a fantastic tweet a few uh I don't know months ago maybe a year ago or something like that where it was just like what makes these pro disclosure people think that we deserve I'm like sort of paraphrasing so forgive me I, I think I got the point right but it's been about a year or so but it was something along the lines of like what makes these pro disclosure people think that this this that we deserve that they like what what makes them think that the aliens would consider us deserving of being a part of any sort of any sort of off earth community like we we have all these problems down here we we haven't figured out anything um people yeah, are we're, yeah, I just, it's, it's a it's a bad place yeah i just tweeted probably this week something very similar that said uh work to create a planet that aliens would want to visit exactly you know exactly again it's like this catch 22 where it's like no 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 don't worry about it. the aliens are going to fix all that like well, when, the, when the fuck are they getting here? What are they? Get- <laughs> oh man! 
And, the, and then, like we said earlier, and then when they tell us what the fix is, half of us aren't going to do it anyway. Right, exactly. <coughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I can see the Cause, aliens cause showing no one, up. And... Cause, listen, because, I, I, you know, if you can't get people on board to, like, <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, like, I mean, the human race is very stubborn, and when the aliens come down and say, listen, okay, uh, the thing that we need you guys to do, like, you have to stop using oil tomorrow. Like, that's right, not going right. to go over well. Right, right. I was going to give you an even more, uh, an even darker example, actually. Uh, and I preface this by telling people that my father died of lung cancer, and I'm a, still a smoker. So, but I can imagine the aliens arrive here on Earth, and they say, and we tell them we have all these problems, and the alien doctor comes out, and he's like, I have good news for you, everyone. Uh, we have a, a, a surefire way to bring your, your lung cancer rates down to, like, almost fucking zero. And everyone on Earth will be like, what? Oh, my God. Oh, hail, hail the aliens. Praise the aliens. And what's the answer? And they're like, stop smoking those fucking cigarettes. Stop smoking those, and you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll get rid of the lung cancer. Like, what don't you people understand? That's all you need to do. There, we cured your lung cancer. Now, <laughs> now give us all your gold. So, yeah, I mean, ha- maybe, maybe, this is a stunning thing, maybe we have the answers to all our fucking problems, and we should just figure it out down here and stop worrying about the aliens coming because uh, they, they're fucking way overdue. Yeah, people are going to be really pissed off if extraterrestrials land all over the Earth and they send their ambassador to the world's ambassadors and we have a big conference and it's streamed live on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, and the aliens have stand up in front of the United Earth Federation, all of the people on the planet are watching it, and the aliens say, okay, first thing, you guys have to be nice to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of people who go, this is bullshit. Oh yeah, and an even greater percentage that were like, I can totally do that, and within like a week they're just back to being complete assholes. Yeah. So so, you know, message received. Oh man, have you? I'm going to pivot here to something else because so people don't get too. Uh, plus, it's sort of like the mid-hour point, so I like to kind of change change the pace a little bit. Now I know, yeah, I I associate you. Predominantly with the ghost stuff. Have you ever looked at Bigfoot, though? I know you you lecture on a vast array of things. You're like me. You're I, I liken myself to like a paranormal veterinarian, where I need to be able to speak and talk on every possible thing under the sun uh, and write about it. So, uh, and you're you're of the same sort of mindset. So, have you looked at Bigfoot at all? I find that that's probably my oh, yeah. favorite of all the mysteries. Yeah, yeah, I I do. I mean. You know, for me, again, being a child of the 70s and growing up with In Search Of, it was always UFOs, Ghosts, and Bigfoot. Like, that's, you right. know, where my heart has always been. When pe- Like, there's no – I don't love pillars. one of those – yeah, those are the three pillars. Those are the ones that, you know, got me started. I still have the books that I stole from my elementary school library, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, <laughs> and Ghosts. Like, those are the three books that I stole. And um, it is, you know – I have gone on a bunch of Bigfoot hunts and talked to a lot of people who have seen Bigfoot. And in Michigan, we have Dogman, which, you know, is another big cryptid. So that fascinates me. But, 
yeah, Bigfoot is is another one of those things that it cracks me up because here's a here's a kind of great story about people who don't believe in Bigfoot and people who kind of do. So I did a Bigfoot hunt maybe six or seven years ago where after the convention that I was at, the speakers had spoke and then we were going to go out into the woods and we were going to, you know, tree knock and do Bigfoot hollers and look for Bigfoot tracks and stuff like that. It was at, I think, Daniel Boone State Park in Kentucky. And uh, one of the newspaper reporters came out and he was very skeptical about Bigfoot and he said, well, you guys are probably just going to dress someone up in a gorilla suit and have him run around out in the woods. And I looked at him really in all serious, and I looked at him in all seriousness, and I said, "Do you really think that Bigfooters are so stupid they would dress someone up in a Bigfoot costume, have them run around while people are hunting Bigfoot in Kentucky, where most of the people at this event are armed? Like, like someone here wants to shoot a Bigfoot." Oh yeah, for sure. Jeez, that's so weird. Like, yeah, that that would be like a the dumbest thing to do, and b like it, we talk about the religiosity of this, but it's like it would be like heresy. I mean, sure, there are like there are uh, hoaxers and stuff in that, but like when when you're that deep in in the that deep into the sort of uh, into the belief system, or sort of that deep into it would be it would it would be like sacrilege. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Bigfoot is. <laughs> yes. You're chasing the Bigfoot. It would be like you, there's a certain. That's kind of what I like about Bigfoot as compared to UFOs. Like there's a, there's a certain like reverence. Maybe it's like a reverence of nature or something. That's yeah. like maybe that's really what it is. But there's a certain reverence for Bigfoot that I don't see with flying saucers. Flying saucers are more of like a savior complex. But the no one no one expects Bigfoot to fucking save them um, or solve all our problems. It's more of like Bigfoot represents this vanishing, vanishing wilderness, this this uh, this vanishing mystery of of the wild, if you will. Yeah, Bigfoot is the extension of you know fairies and elves and the Green Man mythology and. You know, it's this primal part of us that stays hidden. Uh, we know it's out there somewhere. It's, it's that part of ourselves that reconnects with nature. And, you know, it's searching for Bigfoot is very much searching yourself. It's going out into nature. It's allowing yourself to look at nature and look at the ground and look at the trees and listen to the birds and the bird sounds. It's it's very much a reconnection with who we probably were supposed to be. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, but sort of, of cutting aside, that, yeah. I was just going to say, one of the Go things ahead. I find funny, and I've talked about this at my lectures, is that, you know, out of, out of the three pillars, UFOs, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, I think what's so funny is that two of those pillars, you know, one is UFOs, and, you know, we're obsessed with, like, giant gray alien heads and the flying disc itself, but... Mostly when you talk about aliens, you talk about big-headed greys and their long, spindly fingers and arms. We never talk about yeah. their feet. And whenever you see pictures of ghosts, it's always, you know, you don't see their feet. And then the third pillar is literally named after feet. Wow. Yeah, I never considered that. Yeah. It's, it's almost <laughs> like the phenomena is saying, like, look, I see what you're doing here, and I'm going to fuck you up a little bit more. I'm going to give you one of them that's all feet, and then the other two are not going to have anything to do with feet. Weird. 
Yeah. Well, feet feet set a lot of people off. So who? I remember this is funny. This is a total side story, but like, and I maybe you didn't originally come up with this idea. So, but I I was I you at your lecture in Portland you mentioned how like how it, it they call it Bigfoot, but it's like the Bigfoot is the foot is proportional to the creature. It's not like <laughs> right. it has it and it normally and then later I saw this Geico commercial where the lady is talking to Bigfoot and she's like explaining the insurance deals or whatever and she's like, So that's the deal, Bigfoot and he kinda like looks at her, he's like, My name's Daryl And it's just kind of like <laughs> struck me that Yeah, the naming of Bigfoot is so uh old school that uh it's it's quaint but also kind of like just so nonsensical. It's like so we call him Bigfoot because what he leaves big, big footprints around. I guess, yeah. Very strange. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny too because that's the it, it's kind of the same thing with flying saucers, right? Like whatever just is the easiest at the moment, right? So like there, here's this thing that ha- leaves big feet print. Let's just call it Bigfoot. Here are these things that look like flying saucers. Let's just call them flying saucers and give up. Like I think that that's pretty funny too. Like there's a certain aspect to the phenomena where it's like, okay, that's that's good enough. Uh, that's exactly what it looks like, and we'll just call it that from this point forward. Yeah. But have you – do you have it's, – it's hard to really – I'm kind of uh, – I'll sort of go first because I don't want to put you on the spot, but it's like – I'm going to ask you, like, what do you think Bigfoot is? But to me, it's like I have, I have a very shorter list, but an all-of-the-above type of thing with Bigfoot, too, where it's like – you know, I'd like to think, much like the ETH, it's like I'd like to think the most basic premise is true because it would be the most fun in a sense or, or the most I could acclimate to where there's just this bipedal ape thing running around and that would be pretty awesome. But I'm, I'm open to all the other interesting, fantastical ideas that like this is interdimensional and it's, it's uh, a product of the mind or uh, Greg Newkirk said it's a ghost. So to me, it's like it could be all of these above, uh, all, all of the above. Um, but have you? Is there any sort of interesting aspect of like the the what is Bigfoot question that um, you know you find particularly interesting? Yeah, I mean, you know, Greg and I had this discussion long ago because you know it, just at certain points people are at different points in their journey. But you know, I I again I think that when we look at things like ghosts or flying saucers or Bigfoot. Or, or any kind of cryptid, I think that we are looking at combinatorial systems. I think that we're seeing multiple different aspects of something that seems to be the same. I, I, I don't have any problem with there being a physical upright hominid that's hiding from us that exists on this planet. I think in my brain that's the funnest aspect. But again, I've talked to too many people who have seen Bigfoot vanish in and out of portals. I've talked to people who have seen Bigfoot reacting as a nature spirit i've talked to people who have seen bigfoot coming out of ufo craft like so i think that all those options are on the table as they are with any uh, part of the phenomena like again i think when we were talking earlier about telling people giving people larger options and more options and perhaps endless options is where people's brains start to fry, where they say, you know, like, well, I can believe in Bigfoot, but I can't believe in a nature spirit. Uh, I can believe in a nature spirit, but I can't believe he's getting off a UFO. I think that, you know, once you jump over the edge, you've got to jump over the edge. And that means embracing 
all of the weirdness in any form that it might take, but not to the degree that you plunge over the side to your death. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is we are in a state where, and I think you're old enough and have done this long enough, too, the paranormal and conspiratorial world, uh, these things, to me, were meant to be exercises in critical thinking, uh, it, it was meant to strengthen our bullshit detecting. It wasn't yeah. meant to be that you believed in them outright and did not question them ever. It was that they were meant to be questioned so that you could have larger discussions about the nature of strangeness. And therefore, your your bullshit and your lie detecting skills went off the charts. And yes, yes. We've, yeah. We've, these are – yeah. Well, I was going to say, these are – yeah, because I think I ran into that actually when I was out with my family. One of the people said, oh, you believe in a lot of strange things. I didn't correct her because I didn't want to get into it. And now I didn't really have a proper answer until just now listening, talking to you. But it's like, yes, the, the best way to explain it might be that, like, I don't believe any of this stuff. These are mysteries. These are mysteries. That's, that's what drew me into them. They're mysteries. I don't have – I haven't settled on an answer to any of them. I'm still trying to solve the mystery. And, and once you get into, like, you believe in Bigfoot because – and you believe that it's this, that, or the other thing, then it ceases to be a mystery anymore. Now it's a belief system. Right. And belief systems are – can be troublesome because they Absolutely. are uh, – by their nature, a belief system is unchanging. And – if the universe has ever shown us anything, it's that it just loves to fuck stuff up and change things. Like, so here you are rooted in a belief system and no longer capable of change, and so you're going to probably lash out, attack, or retreat back into a bubble if questioned about your belief system, where if that belief was simply an idea, all of a sudden there's flexibility and malleability there to where you can change and not feel like you're being attacked, and there's no reason to attack back or retreat. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think yeah, I think people need to maybe uh, reconfigure their minds in a way if they're too deep into the belief system to remember that these are mysteries. We don't know what <laughs> what any of this stuff is. So that's that's like the whole point. Um, but one of the you briefly touched on uh, this, uh, I think. But one of the biggest bummers of the last few years to those of us who have been in this for a long time, is uh, we're moving to a whole different direction here, but the it's just, how do I put this? It's like just how the world of conspiracy theory has just turned really shitty, um, where, I don't know, until about like maybe, it got really bad in the last few years, but it was getting bad like since 9-11. But nowadays you can't even, there's not, it's just not, it's just the conspiracy – I guess the best way to put it is like conspiracy theory has become divorced from the paranormal, whereas it used to be the fourth pillar, I think. I think it, it was UFOs, Bigfoot, ghosts, conspiracy theories, and now it's like conspiracy theories is, is way the fuck out of here. It's, it's broken down, and it's become a whole other world, and it's not really uh, a part of sort of this – this, I don't know, overall genre anymore in a way. Um, I mean, to some people, I'm sure it is. In a sense, it is, I guess, because it's sort of fringe still. But I think you understand what I'm saying. It was like 
there was a quaintness to conspiracy theory that isn't there anymore, that is still kind of there with all the other, with the remaining three pillars. Conspiracy theory, I agree. I, conspiracy theory at one time was kind of the fourth pillar. And I think one of the things that was so interesting to me was that, you know, there are still conspiracies wrapped inside of the UFO phenomena. They haven't completely been divorced from that. You know, there's still right. some consp- – because you have the government involvement, because you have military involvement, there's still some conspiracy wrapped in the UFO phenomena. But I feel like, again, you know, people – like they pick their weirdnesses and since conspiracy tends to have a ton of sometimes incorrect but factual historical documentation you know if you're talking about the kennedy assassination you can start with some physical facts like kennedy was the president kennedy was killed so immediately it makes it seem as that those are the more real than ufos ghosts and bigfoot because you have you know right. some solid people you have some solid historical facts but I think that's what drives a lot of conspiracy theorists the most crazy is, you know, if you're dealing in a world of extra-dimensional beings and extraterrestrial time travelers, there is, again, some fluidity and malleability to where you can go in your thinking. When you are rooted in something in historical fact and the fact isn't shaped to your narrative – that's where a lot of people, I feel, snap. There's no malleability. They're like, you know, Kennedy was killed this way. We didn't go to the moon. Uh, you know, the Illuminati control everything. You can look at this rich family. They were an actual real rich family. And that's where your mind starts to break. And, again, I think that conspiracy theories in a lot of times are just, you know, they, they absolutely are. Like, they're just alternative, alternative narratives to history. You know, it, yeah. you're reading perspectives of history from people who didn't win. And so you get to see diverse ideas. But that was the exercise that I was talking about earlier for your critical right, right. thinking skills. Like, conspiracy theorists should have been the first fucking people to jump on bad conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the funny part, too. That the What's interesting is the you with I don't even think Alex Jones is mixed up in that anymore. But the point being is like you can see this clear delineation of like all the people that you thought of growing up in this field, and me too. Uh, well, Jim Mars is no longer with us, but you're like your Ken Thomases, your general conspiracy theorists who were players in the in the conspiracy milieu. Uh, they're not the ones driving all this, all of this. Stuff. It's a very interesting dynamic where it's like this this breakaway conspiracy theory. Talking about like the Q thing mostly, but but just in general, it's like the old school conspiracy theorists are kind of looking at all this like shaking their heads, like what are these people even talking about? Like satanic rituals and all this shit that we that that we were laughing about like in the eighties, and now it's all new again. And then they believe it. This is crazy. Yeah, and again, I think that it's because it's. It also tends, like conspiracy theory, especially the way that it's hitting America right now, right? Like it, it tends to – it's the best way to even say this. I know how I think about it internally. I just don't know how to verbalize it. If you look at conspiracy theorists now, um, conspiracy theorists used to make up a va- like a vast – a diverse crowd of people and modes of thinking. 
but mainstream conspiracy theory now has once again turned to kind of white middle-class America who aren't happy that the shit isn't going their way. And that's where people's brains are breaking. Like, why can't be the way it has always been for me? Uh, and I think that's, you know, it, it, it locks itself into this idea that, you know, well, I'm thinking about this. You're not. I'm smarter than you. Uh, I figured out why my life is going badly. The reality is, is, you know, we don't live. I just saw someone posting on Twitter earlier. You know, we, there is no Hydra. That's, we're not living in a Marvel comic book universe. It's much easier for people to think that Hydra is running the world or the Illuminati or the Freemasons or the Rosicrucians or the Knights Templar or whoever are running the world than to yeah. realize that the reason your life is fucked up is because maybe you did something in your life that fucked it up and you might have been able to do it better, maybe. Now it's the deep state. It's not even... Well, right. <laughs> the call is coming and from the thing... within the house. It's, it's, yeah, not, it's and... not some powerful elite group of people. It's uh, the insiders who are fucking us over. And the thing is, what's crazy is that there are people that the world is working against but they're not hugely into conspiracy theory because they're busy making the world not be actually against them. And it's not really white middle-class America. Middle, white middle-class America is okay. Like, they have become so bored, they have found a way to make the world against them with conspiracy theory, when the reality of the situation is the majority of people who aren't white middle-class America do have a lot of laws and limitations pushed against them socially, historically, and they're working to actually change things. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. The whole boredom aspect definitely re resonates. Uh, you can definitely see that. And I think a lot of it did. Uh, there was a, quite a turn when the pandemic happened because people got all bottled up in their house and they got mixed up with uh, with this shit. And it's like... Oh man, you know, because when you need, when you don't have any answers, you try and find answers. And nowadays, people go on YouTube and they got a lot of shitty answers uh, from crazy people or people with an agenda and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's disappointing. I guess that, like as I said, it's like the biggest bummer of it all. Because you know, in my in my job every day, I search out news on all the different on all the the the, the three pillars, and eventually I get down to the fourth pillar, and I'm like, all right, what's going on in the world of conspiracy theory? And it's like. It's just a it's just a cesspool of of contemporary shit that is not fun to to talk about uh like vaccines and and uh pandemics and all this other stuff and and uh it it's just not it's it's not like I want to talk about uh how when the guy puts the flag in the moon and he twists the pole you can see the ripple of the flag and because of that it means they're on a studio in Burbank. Give me those conspiracy that's the ones you wanna hear. So yeah. More more wacky conspiracy theories, please. Yeah, ones that aren't I mean, we spend every day of our lives now inundated with information from a multitude of news sources who are regurgitating the same news over and over again. And most of it is tragic. And those three pillars and conspiracy theory being the faded fourth, yeah. those three pillars like afford 
some people an opportunity to use their imagination and use the creativity that we have within us to think of wider, stranger worlds. And you don't have to believe in them, but it's fun to have ideas with them. It's fun to escape out of them for a while. Yeah, well, it's... I don't know if you and I have had this conversation before. I think I might have said this on the show before, but it's like part... That's kind of what part has driven me for so long, where it's like, to me, I can think of no greater... uh, thing to do with my life than to and I'm very privileged that I can afford to do this but the is to it's to pursue the answers to the big questions like that to me is yeah. like that that's like why are we here it's like maybe we're here to ask that question like why are we here so that's kind of what's kept me going all this time that I can't think of anything more important than doing that yeah one of the things that I say at my lectures is just for a moment, while I'm saying this, just if we just took this as tr- like a, if this was the actual truth, if there were no such thing as Bigfoot and monsters, if there were no such thing as ghosts, if when you die you're dead, if there's no such thing as aliens and UFOs, if if this is all there is, if if those things, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, if those things only exist as a means and a mechanism to have conversations with people about the nature of this slight existence we seem to be having, then it's still vastly fucking important to have those conversations. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. That's, uh, they're here to facilitate those conversations. So yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. When we talk about conspiracies, it's, you almost wonder like if, it's some kind of like far-reaching generational conspiracy where it's like we don't want the powers that be don't want the the you know the 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 average people or whatever the the uh was proletariat or whatever the hell you'd call it but the the, the public to uh I'm thinking like back in the ancient times or whatever but <laughs> they want to dissuade people from asking from from wondering if there's more to life than what they're experiencing like uh, maybe yeah. there's a, well, a, a certain control generational. Absolutely. And on top of that, the conversations that we're having, and you and I discuss this a lot, and I I know that you and I both on Twitter are like this, and some people find it off-putting and whatever. It's just the way that I am. But these conversations are also meant to be pretty fucking ridiculous and hysterical because we are talking about monsters and magic rocks and beings from outer space. Like, it's pretty fucking silly, and you should have a pretty good sense of humor when talking about it. Yeah, that's generally... Yeah, absolutely. I love to shitpost on Twitter. That's my main... That's what my (laughs) modus operandi on there. Because I try to get people not to take this so seriously. It's not really... um, and that's kind of like, I don't want to say I judge people, but that's kind of like one of my sort of like get, feel somebody out. It's like, well, if they can't, if they have no sense of humor and they're militant about this, then I just generally want to avoid them because they, they're, 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 you know, they can't see the forest for the trees. Because this is, uh, this is all a big, this is all just fucking weird. And it's absurd. That's the word I like to use the most. It's, it, 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 all of this is so absurd that unless you can really recognize and embrace that absurdity, you're kind of missing out on a lot of the fun of all this. 
Yeah, if this is if this is our only go around on this planet at this time at this moment in these bodies, why we're not having more fucking fun? I don't know what is wrong with people. Yeah, have more fun. That's definitely uh, that's one takeaway people should get from <laughs> <laughs> from this show. Now you have launched. You had a podcast before, but now you've got a new podcast. Um, Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I have a podcast. I had, right it now. I had the t- thing up. I was going to do a better job of uh, of mentioning oh, that's it, fine. but now my uh, my computer's being an idiot. So um, no, that's that's fine. But I loved when you started the podcast off by saying that this is just you and some other person talking on a phone because that's what my podcast is. Me and my friend Jessica talk to each other once a week on the phone. We record it and we put it out. And it sounds like shit because it's just two people talking on the phone and we're. Again, it's one of those things where it's just two people being open and honest about who they are and talking about random bullshit from TV shows to haunted houses to ghosts to MMA fighting to what our dog is doing. And, you know, her dog passed away. We went through that. My mom passed away. And oh, it's sorry. just two human oh, beings. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Two hum- you didn't know that, Tim? I think, well, I did. I think I reached out to you when it, when it happened, but... Still, I'm still sorry. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, it happened a while ago, right? Yeah, it happened in January. Yeah, yeah. I reached out to you yeah. at the time, but still, you know, it's a, it's a natural reaction to say sorry, sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> usually when hey, somebody says weird. they're sorry, usually usually when somebody says they're sorry, I'll say my mom passed away, and someone will say they're sorry. I will immediately turn to them and say, "Why were you involved with it?" And then they get really <laughs> uncomfortable, and then I. And then, I, and then I laugh. No, but it, the podcast is called What's Up Weirdo, and it's it really is. It's just during the pandemic, I really missed going to bars and restaurants and hearing casual conversation. And so when right. I decided to do this podcast with Jessica, I was like, that's what it's going to be. It's just going to be casual conversation, no topic, and nothing's off the table, and you're going to be you and I'm going to be me, and that's it. Nice. Nice. How long have you been doing that for? So you say your mom passed away in January, so it must have been you've been doing it for at least since then, right? Uh, no, we we started in March. So I mean, I broached the topic of my mother passing away uh, when we first started, uh, but you know, by my my mother talking again, I don't have any secrets. The the last thing that my mother would have ever wanted to do is is cause me any harm or sadness. And for me to, uh, of course, just by human nature, I'm going to go through moments of grief and sadness and loss. But uh, if if she would have thought she her death in or in her in any way was slowing me down or affecting me or changing me, I think that that's a dishonor to her memory. So. I mean, I think that she would be happy that I'm up at, you know, almost midnight talking about UFOs to some fucking guy on a phone. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great way of looking at it. That's a great way of looking at it. I never uh, considered it that way, but yeah, yeah. Moms, you know, uh, yeah, moms are like that, so they wouldn't want you to. Yeah, mom, moms don't in, want be you to be pain. sad. They don't want to limit you. They They want you to be your best, and they want the best for you, so, you know. Uh, I have chosen to be the best by talking to you. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm honored. <laughs> now, what do you have? You said you had a crazy schedule so far. What do you have on the books 
you know, coming up? Well, if everything goes um, better. Everything seems so tentative or, nowadays still, yeah. Yeah, so tentatively, the big thing that I'm doing is uh, next summer uh, I'm doing an event. I'll fly to England uh, and then go to Stonehenge and the catacombs wow. in Paris and then the Lighthouse of Hercules in Spain. So that's in June of next year. On a, we're doing a big paranormal European cruise. Wow, interesting. So Stonehenge. I'm. Let's go. Stonehenge. Let's go Stonehenge. I'm very. I'm very ex- going to go Stonehenge. I'm very excited that uh, I will be going to uh, the cemetery where Benny Hill is buried. So expect to see a video of wow. me running around the cemetery to yakety sacks. Nice. Nice. I, I, I will, uh, maybe I should, uh, I don't know, I'm afraid that you'll take me up on this offer, but I have a picture. I went to Stonehenge when I was younger, uh, and I have a picture. I have to find it, so we have time since you're, <laughs> for this ridiculous <laughs> challenge. So, so I have a picture, are you ready for this, John, of me yes. mooning Stonehenge. So I have a picture of me mooning Stonehenge, uh, which I will never release to the public unless when you go to Stonehenge, you moon Stonehenge, and, uh, and, and we'll release the <laughs> I'll, I'll post the picture online. And we'll both be banned <laughs> from Stonehenge probably. But, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But, yeah, yeah, I, I, I visited Stonehenge a long time ago, back in 2000. It was it, – it's – I didn't have – I didn't have the appreciation that I would now. I'd like to go back and check it out. It, 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 uh, I'm sure I would have a much different. <laughs> well, fuck! I mooned it, so I, I'm sure I'm sure I'd have a much, much deeper appreciation for it uh, now. It's definitely one of those places I'd like to go back and check out. Yeah, I think it'll be if it happens. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I know that the tickets for it are selling really well. People can go to strange-escapes.com if they want to look at the information for it. But it should be a good this time a cruise? Uh, if it happens. It's a cruise, yeah. So uh, how does that work? You're gonna fly over, you, don't, you don't take the cruise ship all the way over to Europe, do you? That would take like – No, we fly to England. Okay. We fly to England, yeah. and then the cruise ship leaves out of Southampton, England, and goes uh, England to France to Spain back to England. Oh, it's like a Viking cruise. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So beyond – okay, so I heard I heard the Stonehenge and the Catacombs. And what's the next stop? Uh, the Lighthouse of Hercules, I believe, in Spain is, is one okay, uh, never seen big that. old ancient ancient lighthouse there. Wow. This sounds very cool. This is next summer? Next summer. So uh, fingers crossed that the earth is still here, uh, that most people are still alive, and maybe that'll happen. There you go. All right. Is that your – what about lectures coming up? Anything you want to mention? Uh, I'm not – I really haven't booked anything. Normally on a normal year I take December and January off, uh, so I've – Figured I did enough lectures this year where I can do that again, take December and January off. And I'll start booking again for stuff in February and beyond. But hopefully if everything goes right uh, by Christmas, uh, I should have – hopefully I'll have two books out for Christmas. Uh, oh. one, is, one is all of the strange humanoid and formanauts that people saw in Michigan from 2018 to 2020. 
Uh, and then the other one is uh, the second book. So my, my book that came out in 2019, Theoretical Weirdo, is actually three volumes. And the second volume should come out in December. It's called uh, Anecdotal Weirdo, which is all strange stories that have happened to me. So hopefully those two books will come out in December. Okay. Now i got to backtrack here. So this first book, this is – yeah, I noticed you did not say Michigan Mothman or whatever the fuck. So uh, no, no, I, no. I hope you're not embracing that awful name. Which I'm. Uh... No, no, no. <laughs> in Michigan, in in Michigan, starting almost at the end of 2017, throughout 2018 and 19, ending in 2020, I researched a fairly large amount of cases, about 55 cases of people seeing what seem to be creatures, but they are very unlike, uh, you know, creatures that people have seen. Everything from giant hairy floating cubes to little running black triangles on the ground to uh, legs with a, you know, aquarium on top of it. Uh, very strange stuff. So I collected and compiled all those stories together. I got witnesses to sketch everything. I got a professional artist to redraw the witness sketches. And yeah, so um, interaction, the, the book is called Interactions with Formanauts will be the name of the book. Ah, Formanauts. I like that. That's weird. That's really strange. Oh. How did you even how did you even get tipped off to all this? So it all started with uh one actually two emails uh from it started with this guy who saw this giant floating cube in his neighborhood and I went out and interviewed him and then I did what I don't think a lot of UFO or researchers do in this day and age, which is I door knocked the neighborhood, probably about a quarter mile area around his house, looking for other people who had seen something similar. Uh, obviously, I didn't tell them what I was looking for, but just asking them if they had seen anything weird in the neighborhood. And uh, all of these cases started popping up and they ended up being all over Michigan for about a year and a half and just different, various, weird, bizarre, and absurd creatures. Very strange. Interesting. Now, do people, these people who, uh, we don't want to spoil the book or anything, but, like, uh, as a general question, like, do, do these people, do they see them, or are there stories of, like, interaction with these things? So some interacted, and then some have just witnessed them. Uh, what's interesting is because these Formanauts are so bizarre. Uh, one of the things I had to do was, you know, I wasn't telling them what I was looking for, but let's say the, the triangular creature that was running around on the ground. Some One person, because there's no frame of reference, it, uh, it gets described very differently, but they're describing a same similar type of creature. So, like, one person would say they saw a flat black triangle that was illuminated on top with LED lights but had legs, and it was running around the neighborhood. And then two blocks away on the same night is a, a another person in the neighborhood who said that they saw a black cat running around the neighborhood, but it was on fire. Jesus. So That's weird. the descriptions the descriptions are very strange, but I I think it's because what people were seeing they had no frame of reference for, so they were just in the moment. Like the guy who said he saw the cat on fire, I thought that was almost as fucking weird as seeing a black triangle with legs running around. Because he was like, well, the cat didn't seem to be in pain. It just was on fire, and it was running around the neighborhood. And it did, you know, it climbed up the side of a house, which cats don't climb up the side of houses. I mean, they can jump from roof to roof, but they don't climb up the side of houses. And 
So it's putting these stories together, seeing that they had some type of cohesion across a wide spectrum of witnesses was pretty interesting in putting the book together. Yeah, it really makes you wonder what the hell was happening there. That's strange. Well, something was going on, and something was going on, and I bet you it was going on all across America. And it completely ended right as pandemic hit, which I find very interesting. I wonder if that's like a. Uh, it's funny. I just ripped on the term, but like, I wonder if it, that's like a Mothman effect. Not that these are Mothmen, but that that if that's a, if that was like some kind of uh, subconscious precursor to the pandemic that like shit's going to get well, weird I, soon and you know I, I speculate heavily upon that in the book yeah yeah well it's very it's very interesting it'll be interesting to see when we look back on all this what the you know what we can glean from it all i thought it was interesting yeah. that the i had my friend kiki dombrowski on during the summer of strangeness and uh She's she does tarot and is sensitive, yep, uh, psychically sensitive and stuff. And I was talking to her, and I wasn't like giving her grief about it. It was more just like a general observation. But it was just remarkable to me that nobody there, there didn't seem to be anyone who kind of like even predicted the vague outlines of a pandemic. Right. Um, right. You know, at least as far as I know, there may be some person in Des Moines who's like, I fucking nailed it to a T, but no one, no one reads my blog. But, you know, you would have heard about it, I think. And, and even like the example I gave was like, okay, maybe someone didn't, couldn't have predicted the pandemic or whatever, but it's like, like these, how come no one was like, I see a really strange fashion trend where people are going to start wearing you know, different colored pieces of fabric on their face. Like, I want to say a mask, but it wouldn't, that doesn't make any sense. But there's, all of a sudden, and they're all going to be like, everyone's going to be wearing different, different things on their face. You know, like, no one even sort of vaguely got around the edges of what we saw uh, over the last year and a half now. Yeah, what I think is interesting, and I talked about this once at a lecture, but I don't hear very many people talking about it. It's just something I ruminate about in my own brain, which is there was a period of time in America where you had uh, books, articles, newspaper articles, people in the newspaper writing columns making vast predictions about the future. And after 2000, that really kind of stopped. Like, you know, yeah, sure, maybe like the Globe or the – like National Enquirer yeah, yeah. maybe kept doing like big world predictions. But up until about 2000, you had, you know, Gene Dixon and Criswell, you had all these people that were predicting the future up until the year 2000. And then since 2000, that kind of phenomena has gone away. And I find that kind of interesting. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, that is really interesting. It makes you wonder, <laughs> like, are we a culture that has like uh are we a culture that has somehow like lost sight of the future right um, exactly very interesting, yeah, so like we put all our eggs in the basket of like two thousand and everything, and here we are twenty years into it, and there's not really any 
even like maybe 20. <laughs> I always said when when the 2012 thing happened, it's like, oh, what's going to be next? And I'm like, ah, probably 2020 because that's the roundest number. Um, we saw what happened in 2020, of course. But it's yeah, there's no there's no sort of big date on the horizon that people are going to say, oh, things are going to change. And um, the, the millennial thing was just so monumental. Uh, yeah, you don't hear anybody people, preaching about like what's going to happen in the year three thousand right now. You don't hear anybody saying like, oh, t- you know, twenty two hundred. That's the the year. Like that went on in America for a hundred plus years with people predicting for two thousand. We got to two thousand, and people were like, yeah, forget it. We we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really really weird. I never really thought about it, but yeah, well, it was a monumental. Uh, for, <laughs> now we've reached the age where anyone there may be people listening who didn't experience it. So uh, right. I remember I still I still take perverse amount of pride, even though I have nothing to do with it. It was just I'm a ma- it's a matter of luck. But I remember like the first uh, on the first day, you know, January first, two thousand, on the front page of the Globe, it was like you're experiencing something that. You know, your your grandfather and your great grandfather and like like people, your ancestors a thousand years ago, up up to a thousand years ago, didn't experience, have didn't never experienced, and and, <laughs> right. and and the people like a thousand, you know, people up to a thousand years from now won't experience. You've just right. crossed the millennium, even though it's some arbitrary uh, counting system. It's still like it, it was. I don't know. Just I, that that whole idea like resonated with me in a deep way where I was like, holy shit, that's true. Like this, <laughs> I just went through something that that uh, even though I just counted down the clock or whatever, I was pretty drunk I think that night. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a a once in a millennium experience. So maybe it kind of broke us a little bit. I was sitting. I remember uh, I was sitting at my house by myself, uh, waiting for it to turn to the year two thousand, and uh, slowly but surely, starting around ten o'clock at night all of my friends started showing up at my house. And at one point there were about six of six people sitting in my family room. We were watching television and I said, what, why did you all come over? And they said, well, just in case anything happens, you're probably the one that to, that's going to know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I remember, yeah, I stayed in that night too. Cause it was like, ah, who knows what's going to happen. People are going to be crazy. I thought it was going to be a lot. Yeah. Uh, crazier than it turned out to be. It was, uh, you know, it was it was pretty pretty normal. Like people per, people don't remember like that there was like two or three years uh, for the young people. Like yeah, that there was just like Y2K was a thing. It was it was you couldn't escape. Oh yeah, Y2K. all the computers are going to shut down. All the atomic power plants are going to blow up. Uh, your phones are not yeah. going to work. Electricity is not going to work. The trigger effect. This is what's going to set off the end of the world. Oh yeah, yep. for three years yeah, that, was, yeah. that was pretty heavy. Yeah, planes are going to drop from the sky. That was like the <laughs> the idea. Yep. It was like how is that even how is that even possible that like because the because the thing because the clock didn't reset properly on the plane now it's just going to drop out of the sky. But like they had you thinking that kind of shit. So and, oh yeah. And I think and and the other part was it came right on the heels of the Heaven's Gate thing. I think right. Yeah, Heaven's Gate was pre pre Y two K. So it was like. There was also a concern. It was relatively close in time. It was people were still remembering it. So I think that there was also, yeah, like, at had, least in my mind, 
it was like, okay, maybe there'll be death cults that do something stupid too. So I don't, I don't want to, you know, yeah. anything could happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Hellbop, uh, Heaven's Gate, and then all of a sudden Y2K is coming. Uh, you know, and then again, like you had computer programmers saying, you know, oh, so much of our world is now based on the computers. I mean, now if you think about computers crashing, like now people would actually be fucked. Like now it would be a big deal. Yeah, that's and true. I don't even I don't know how much of a big deal it would be in '99, but now it would be a, a an enormous deal. That's an incredibly astute observation that I didn't even think about. Yeah, yeah. Most people would have been like they would have been able to get on with their lives pretty easily back then. So. Um, yeah, it was an interesting time, and and it does make you wonder because now, uh, especially like you're talking about the the people who predict the future, and it's like we also, I mean, there was kind of a smidgen of this a few years ago, but you just don't see the big doomsday uh, warnings and apocalyptic sort of like the world is going to come to an end shit. It's like. Almost, I think people are almost like, all right, I think we're in the midst of the world ending. So they don't really, they've kind of uh, come to grips with that. It's like, oh, no, it's going to be a slow process, and it's actually happening right now. Or uh, or what? But you don't see a lot of like, oh, the world's going to end uh, soon on a certain date or whatever. Like the Mayan calendar kind of yeah. squashed all that. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, that's the there's the old old saying about, you know, the end of the world doesn't happen with a bang, but with a whimper. And I think that people have really internalized that. Like, you know, when when you had end of the world and apocalypse scenarios in the past, everybody thought, you know, well, you know, Fengar the wolf is going to swallow the sun and the world of the Midgard serpent is going to crack the earth in half and uh, the demons rise out of the ocean and the seven-headed dragons and the whore of Babylon, and people realize now that it's just going to be kind of, if it does happen, it's just kind of a slow descent into madness. And, the, you know, that's pretty terrifying to me, but hopefully the aliens come and save us from all that. <laughs> God willing. Yeah, where are they? Our planet is dying. It's not... <laughs> it's not even like they're in a, it's not even about in a us cave, anymore. For it to get better. Yeah, it's not even about us. It's about if you want it. If you want to make any use of this place, you better come down soon and and, and fucking clean it up because <laughs> you know, they're just waiting for us to wipe it all out and uh, wipe ourselves out, and then they can come and be like, all right, now we got a good new outpost here. Well, the world what, uh, may not end. What a, what a happy way to end this podcast. <laughs> yes, I was just gonna say. We're talking about the end of the world here, and uh, we've we've come to the end of the podcast. So um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I couldn't ask for a better guest to uh, get me back up and running here uh, on the air. Uh, I, I'm so excited about being back, and I loved this conversation. And uh, John, you're one of the guests, uh, one of the folks, one of the types of people I like to talk to because you make me work, you make my brain work, and you make me think. Um, you know, while we're talking. Some guests you can be like, all right, tell me about this, and you can <laughs> you can go and and check your email. But this is like this is a real conversation, a uh, really engaging conversation, uh, and I, I really enjoyed it so much. And um, I'm stunned that it took us so long to sort of get you on, but all of America back when we started the summer of strangeness. But uh, I expect a, a, an equally long future as we've had a history on this program. So I'm sure you're going to be part of the fabric of BOA. Uh, for some time to come, and I can't thank you enough for 
you know, jumping in here and uh, helping me kick off the winter of weirdness. Well, thank you for having me on, Tim. It's always a pleasure talking to you, whether it's on the radio show or drunkenly uh, on a random night. Also, hopefully things will get to a point where you and I can go to a bar and both of us can be kicked out again. Absolutely, yeah. We're going to have to have, have to make that happen uh, in the not-too-distant <laughs> future. I have a feeling it will happen. I have a feeling it will. So, all right, brother. Well, uh, good luck and enjoy, and I'll I'll talk to you soon, I'm sure, and have a great night. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. There you go, folks. That was John Tenney. Fabulous conversation. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. John actually has to get had to get going because uh, he's taping "What's Up, Weirdo" with Jessica in like five minutes. So uh, uh, he said he had to go at eleven. So I promised him I'd I'd get him out of the craft uh, with a little time to spare. So yeah, that was the the premiere of the Winter Weirdness. I loved it. I had a blast. I really enjoyed talking to John. That was awesome. Um, uh, still getting used to, I mean, I don't think I missed a beat, to be honest with you folks, as far as hosting this ragtag podcast, but it, it will take me, I think, a little bit of time to sort of get back to running the bells and whistles of Banal of America, um, and getting, I'm hoping to get the show posted, uh, by Thursday, so if I can really get a schedule going and stick to it, that would be nothing short of a miracle, but I'm going to really, really try, um, and what do we have on tap for you next week? This wasn't a one-off. This is the winter of weirdness. We're back, folks. Uh, next week, we're going to be hearing from a first-time guest, ghost hunter Amanda Paulson. She runs the, I guess you could call it a brand more than anything. She has a website. She's done uh, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. She's, she's got the whole nine yards, all the, uh, all the stuff uh, that we don't do here on Banal America. <laughs> I don't even, I'm barely on any of these podcast services. But uh, but anyway, she runs the brand, I guess you could say. She's the brainchild behind the brand Pretty Effin' Spooky. And she's been ghost hunting for over a decade, and she has all kinds of insights on ghost hunting, which we barely ever cover on the show, but it's something that I want to talk more about. And what piqued my interest specifically was that, and we're going to get into this on the show next week, she had just a crazy experience where she went to, she was in my neck of the woods. She stayed at the Lizzie Borden uh, murder house, bed and breakfast. And for some reason, we're going to get into all this. I'm, I'm so intrigued by this whole story. She, you can book a room there to stay the night. So she booked a room for the Lindsay Borden bed and breakfast. And it turns out she was the only person in the house that night. Like the staff all leave. The guests presumably have the run of the house. More often, I guess, than not, there's just not one person. But it was just her. Um, And so it was like a single, a solitary ghost hunt, if you will, Um, which is – just uh, unsettling, and she documented it all on YouTube, and it was really interesting, and a lot of really weird shit happened to her while she was in the house. She heard and experienced a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, like I said, it's all on her YouTube channel, and we're going to talk about that. I won't spoil the story too much, but that was, yeah, just a crazy, when I saw that, I was like, I want to know so much more about this story, and and uh 
and ghost hunting in general, because it seems like she's a little more on the skeptical side of things, but we'll get into that uh, next week on the program. So it'll be it'll be fascinating. It'll be interesting. It'll be a lot of fun, I'm sure. So, yeah, that's next week. Just, uh, oh, it's called her Jessica. I'm sorry. Amanda Paulson, pretty effing spooky is the uh, is the website. Yeah, and we're going to get into all that. So uh, on that note, the live lady is going to kick me off the air in a minute. So I want to thank all the folks in the chat room, mostly Zach Copley who hung out the whole show, but also Wheel Nerds who came in at the end uh, to offer some insights. Thanks to those guys. Thanks to everybody who listened live. And, of course, uh, thanks to uh, all, especially thanks to all the people who boosted this episode on social media. You guys are awesome. And uh, thanks to everybody listening later on down the line. Next week, Amanda Paulson, Pretty Up and Spooky, same but all time, same but all channel, Tuesday night, 9 p.m. It'll be December 7th. Uh, and on that note, once again, thank you all for listening. This is Tim Bidall. 